the third psalm. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Jehovah, how are mine adversaries increased? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there are that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Jehovah, art a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. I cry unto Jehovah with my voice, and he answereth me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for Jehovah sustaineth me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of the people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Jehovah, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongeth unto Jehovah. Thy blessing be upon thy people. Thela. David wrote this third psalm, we read in the inscription, when he fled from Absalom, his son, fleeing from his own son as we have been looking at, his oldest son, his dear son, his favorite most likely. We were reminded again of Jonah and the end of the first chapter and the first verse of the second chapter where we read these words and Jehovah prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights then Jonah prayed unto Jehovah his God out of the fish's belly God prepared a great fish Are you, most of us know the account of Jonah, how he was fleeing from the obedience due unto God, fleeing unto Tarshish rather than going to Nineveh with the gospel, as it were, to preach to Nineveh, calling them to repent. But he disobeyed. And he took a passage on a ship bound for Tarshish. A great storm arose. Guess where that came from? And finally, the men, even at Jonah's insistence, threw him out into the sea. And he was swallowed by a great fish, a great affliction. There he is inside of this great fish. This great affliction has come upon him. The storms wreaking havoc upon the ship. And then himself being cast out into the sea and being swallowed by this great fish, a great affliction, a whale of an affliction, we could say, to chasten Jonah for his disobedient behavior, his failure to do what God has directed, had commanded him to do. And then Jonah prayed. And that's a beautiful prayer in the book of Jonah to read from time to time. But we have been looking at something analogous or similar in the life of David. David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. We read in the 30th verse of chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. He's hastening, he's fleeing from his son, Absalom. And he went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, we're told. 
And in the 32nd verse we read, And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the ascent, where God was worshipped, or where he was wont, where David was wont to worship God, that Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. David is ascending this mount, fleeing from his son. And as he approaches the top of the mount, where there was evidently a place where God was worshipped, where he frequently worshipped God, some kind of a place set apart up there, as far as we can understand. David ascended up to that top, and Hushai met him. Now, on, upon first reading, or even second or third reading, it seems that Hushai probably came from Jerusalem. But many writers insist that it was more likely that he came from that place of worship to which David was headed, that he came with his coat rent and with earth or ashes upon his head. He came to meet David, and he had been worshiping. He had been pouring out his humility before God or pouring out his pleas his prayers unto God in humility because of what had transpired, because of what was going on. That the king, the anointed, appointed king of God's people was fleeing for his life from his oldest son. And so Hushai comes in that situation with his coat rent and earth upon his head. It reminds us of what we read in Isaiah 57.1. When Hezekiah was informed about the threats of invasion, the threats from Rabshakeh, and what he was going to do to God's people, what he was going to do to Jerusalem. And we're told in the first verse of chapter 57 that Hezekiah went immediately to prayer, falling upon his face in sackcloth and ashes. The same idea, the same M.O., if you will the same method of worship, the same method of humbling oneself before God in dire straits. And so here we seem to have confirmed that that top of the ascent was this place where God was worshipped, place where God, David frequented to worship his God. We're told this, many are of opinion also, that David when he lighted upon that place, when he fell on his face before God in that place of worship, that it's very likely and at least very reasonable, given this superscription of Psalm 3, that here was where the psalm was composed, at least in his heart, maybe because of all that was going on. It would have been very difficult logistically for him to take out pen and paper, if you will, and to write the words of this psalm. But he wouldn't have any problem in particular with the inspiration given from God the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't have any problem with putting that down later, his reminiscence, and probably very soon afterward, if he hadn't done it while he was singing this psalm, praying this psalm unto his God. And many are of opinion. The majority of reasonable writers, of conservative writers, are of that opinion. And it's, it's 
pleasing to find myself in a majority for a change. The first two verses we are told that David wrote or that he prayed or sang Jehovah. How are mine adversaries increased? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there are that say of my soul there is no help for him in God. Selah. We just sang. We just sang of this in the life of Christ. The almost words exactly parallel to this thought that so many are numbered in rage even against Christ, against the Son of God, against the Messiah, in rage. And here we find these words penned, sang, prayed by David, telling his God how many there are. He had just been informed that all, that's the language that was put in to him, all Israel, all Jerusalem, we know it wasn't literally all, but a great number have come alongside of Absalom to take the throne for Absalom, to kill the properly anointed and appointed king, even the father of Absalom himself. David has been told this, so he, he cries unto God for help. And he also points out what I'm sure we have heard ourselves over the years of our pilgrimage. People have said to us, people that despise the gospel, people that despise our religion, they've said to us, in effect, there's no help for you in God. God doesn't care what happens to you. Or perhaps, sadly, we've said it to ourselves, as David may have been doing, speaking to himself. But this idea that there's no hope in God is presented to the people of God. Often, when they're in any kind of a distress or any kind of plight, any kind of dangerous or, or evil circumstances, God's not gonna help you. Why bother praying? Do something yourself. No hope in God is what they claim is the reality of the situation. The psalmist expresses this in Psalm 71, very vividly. And this is not, admittedly, this is not superscribed that it's written uh, by David, but listen to what he says. And we imagine, and most writers believe, that David was probably about 60 years old at this point in time. He was no longer a young man. He was fleeing from his adult son. Absalom may have been around 40, David's oldest son after Amnon. But listen to what the writer here says in Psalm 71 at verse 9 through 11. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For mine enemies speak concerning me, and they that watch for my soul take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver. The same, the same sentiment that David here expresses in Psalm 3. Go ahead and take him. There's none to deliver him. Isn't that what they said to Christ as he was hanged upon that Roman cross? Go ahead, call on your father now. Or come down if you're the son of God. 
Come down from there. Where's your God now? And they taunted him, even those that were hanging on either side of him, taunting him. One has designated that psalm that we just read, 71, as a prayer of an old man for deliverance. Prayer of an old man for deliverance. And thus it relates to the circumstances here. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was written then, but it's the same circumstances. And don't we do that? Don't we reminisce? Well, don't we meditate? Don't we think upon our pilgrimage and the walk that the Lord has brought us on? And we don't forget the struggles and deliverances of the past. Perhaps this was being simply reminisced of in, in later days. This kind of attack, this kind of attack was the most painfully affecting when our faith is challenged. David's faith was being challenged. His faith in the true and the living God, his trust in him is being challenged in that kind of attack is one of the most, if not the most, painfully affecting. We see that in in, in Psalm 42 and 43, um, where, where the psalmist, likely David, cries out for help as the deer pants after the water brook, he cries out, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And he's crying out, you know, for himself, speaking to himself, hope in God, trying to buoy up his faith by crying unto God. Cast me not off in time of old age. Oh, come and help me. He's crying to God. Many there are that rise up against me. This kind of attack, one writer says, the denial that God is our God finds an ally in the believer's own consciousness of guilt. Finds an ally. Is that not true of many of us, if not all of us? That when our faith is challenged, we find our guilt coming to the surface again. We find ourselves saying, I don't deserve anything else. I deserve this affliction. I deserve even to be punished, even though our faith tells us that we can't be punished because Christ has been punished already for our sins. And God is true and righteous and he won't punish the same sin twice. But he will afflict, he will chastise his people. But it challenges the faith of believers. And it challenges, I say, this writer suggests that this can be an ally in the believer's own consciousness of guilt. However strongly he may be convinced of his innocence in regard to particular charges. And it requires no small measure of faith to gain here the victory. David's crying out for his faith to be lifted up. Upon this kind of attack, this familiar kind of attack. And he says, after these two first verses, Selah. Now I'll only mention what Martin Luther has to say about that word. There is really no agreement on what the word actually means. There are many suggestions 
and Martin Luther's is probably about as good as most. Listen to what the man said, to pause and carefully reflect on the words of the psalm, for they require a peaceful and meditative soul, which can apprehend and receive what the Holy Spirit there cogitates and propounds which we see indeed in this verse where the psalmist is deeply and earnestly moved to feel and understand this heavy trial of the spirit, wherein also God seems to take part as well as the creature. You see what he's saying? To pause and carefully reflect, to meditate. I believe that, in the, that David ascended to the top of the mount, to that place where God was worshipped, and he was meditating. He was meditating much as well as praying unto God. He was meditating upon his God. And he feels this. He feels his own sin. He's reminded of it, especially when he can so easily recognize the justice of his own son pursuing him. The justice of his own son being a rebel even like he himself rebelled against his father in heaven. So he's arguing with himself. He's meditating, but he's arguing with himself. He might be imagining the words that were later penned by Jeremiah, God's words to him, God, Jeremiah's words to God when he cried out, Be not a terror unto me. Thou art my refuge in the day of evil. It's very easy for God in afflicting, in chastising, to become a terror to weak faith, to great guilt over great sin. Be not a terror unto me. Thou art my refuge in the day of evil. Jeremiah cries out subsequently for protection. And that's also what David is doing here, crying out for God to to hear his prayer, to hear his cry, that he's under attack, he's under assault by the evil one. And, and they're suggesting that there's no help, that God, that you won't help me. It's what they're trying to convince me of. But he goes on saying, and his faith lifts him up to say this, but thou, O Jehovah, art a shield about me. Thou, O Jehovah, art a shield about me. Probably being fully aware that those were the words spoken by covenant-making, covenant-keeping God to Abram in the 15th chapter of Genesis when Jehovah, when God approached Abraham and said, Fear not, I am thy shield. 